studies in the epistle of John, 1st John chapter 2 and verse 2 is what we are looking at. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Okay. Now, this word propitiation, okay. Now, if you read the NIV, the NIV doesn't have that word. The NIV says the atoning sacrifice, okay, the atoning sacrifice. Now, a couple of important uh, sections in this particular verse. The first part is when he starts with that word, little word, and he himself is the propitiation. In other words, there's a link between verse 1 and verse 2. Verse 1 speaks about how Jesus is our advocate and he's our propitiation, means on by you know what reason he has become the advocate or how has he qualified to become the advocate is what this verse is speaking about. The fact that he is indeed the propitiation. He has made the payment for us. And that's why NIV and other versions sometimes use this word atoning sacrifice. He has atoned for us. And as a result, now we have an advocate with the Father. So that is definitely a, a continuation. If verse 1 focuses on what he does for us now in God's presence, Verse 2 focuses on what he has done in the past, by which this role of being an advocate becomes really possible. So his immediate purpose for verse 2 is speaking about, in verse 1 he said, My little children, I write to you that you do not sin, because if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father. Okay. Now, he is communicating this message you know, to say, little children, be careful, do not fall into sin, do not yield to sin. But if in case you do yield, do not think that all is lost. Don't think that you can somehow commit you know, one sin just before you die and you will lose everything for all eternity. So verse 2 is actually an encouraging verse that he is giving to those individuals who think because they have done one sin that now they have been taken off in you know, their relationship with God, now somehow they have to start all over again. He says, no, no, the atoning sacrifice has already been done. There is no more sacrifice that can be made. He has indeed become our propitiation. Now, John does not say he is the propitiator. He does not say that he is the one who has offered the sacrifice. You know, we are looking at verse 2 of chapter 2. He does not say that he has become the propitiator like the high priest who would go once a year into the Holy of Holies to offer the sacrifice. Now, he is not the one who has offered the sacrifice. He indeed has become the sacrifice. And because he has become the sacrifice, he is the atoning sacrifice. As a result, we have this assurance that he has become the perfect advocate. So this is why this verse is a very important verse. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, the scripture tells us, him, knew, him who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. Became sin. He became sin. 
he became the atoning sacrifice. He was not the one who offered it. He himself became the sacrifice. And this is the link between, you know, if we sin, we have an advocate. Why is he qualified to be the advocate? Because he himself is the propitiation. He himself is the sacrifice. Now, the reason why you know, some people do not like this word propitiation, because the word actually means you know, to appease the wrath of God. Okay, That's the word. When you speak about propitiation, we speak about God is angry, and you know, they you know, offer this in order to appease the anger of God. Most religions will have that. And as a result, some people will say, you know, how can you say that we can do anything to appease the anger of God? Now, the question is not we doing something to appease the anger of God. The scripture is saying Jesus himself became the sacrifice. So by dying on the cross, by payment for our sins, he has appeased the anger because definitely the scripture speaks about the soul that sinneth, it shall die. There is the wrath of God. We cannot you know, negate that fact. But not in the understanding that you know, the non-Christian world which speaks about God is angry. No, here the understanding is there is anger of God for sin and the justice of God demands that payment must be made. And by virtue of Jesus becoming the propitiation, becoming the sacrifice, you find that this just anger has been removed. So this is why some people, instead of using the word propitiation, they would use the word expiation. You know, expiation, basically speaking, about a cleansing from sin, an action that cleanses, an action that satisfies God. Instead of appeasing the anger of God, they would rather speak about another you know, satisfying the the requirements of God. But if we look at this word very carefully, we must understand, the more we understand the concept of propitiation, we also understand the fact of God's attitude to sin. Okay, For the wages of sin is death. That's what the scripture very, very clearly tells us. So these verses actually imply that Jesus is the one who bore the wrath of God on sin on himself. This way on the cross, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So when you're looking at sin, we must also understand the wrath of God against sin. And we must be so grateful to God that Jesus was willing to become that sacrifice, which will remove the wrath of God. And as a result, because of his death, burial and resurrection, the justice of God that demands that the soul that sin it shall die, punishment should be given by Jesus' death on the cross, his atoning sacrifice that was accepted by God satisfactorily, and as a result, he rose again from the dead. So God himself took the initiative to satisfy his own wrath so that his love may now be shown to the guilty sinner. So that we don't have to now do anything. All that we need to do is accept that sacrifice. We are not offering anything to appease the anger of God, but the anger of God has already been appeased, has already been satisfied by the atoning sacrifice, by Jesus himself becoming the 
propitiation. Okay, I hope that has you know, uh, now become clarified. Now, to put it in another way, it would be like a covering for sin. It is like maybe you go to a restaurant and you know, as a group, you are you know, had a good meal and you know, you're taking out your wallet to pay and somebody else says, look, I have it covered. You know? So that's the understanding. I have it covered. What you owe, I have it covered. So the scripture is speaking about here, we don't have to pay for sin anymore. We don't have to appease the anger of God anymore. God has been satisfied by Jesus indeed becoming the propitiation for our sins. Okay. Now, that's the first part of it. So the first thought that we said was there's a link between advocate and propitiation. Now we have understood what propitiation is. You know, the appeasement, satisfaction, the atoning sacrifice, all these aspects in a, in a link together. The fact that God has us covered. So if we fall into sin, Jesus is saying, I am the advocate with the Father. And here on earth, I have you covered because I've already paid for that particular sin. Then he moves further and he says, and not for us only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, this section has got into a lot of you know, questioning or wrong understanding. And from here, some people have come up with this uh, wrong teaching, I would say, that Jesus did not die on the cross for the sins of the whole world. Okay? Jesus died on the cross only for those people who have responded to him. But this verse, if you notice, very clearly teaches us that he has not only died for us, but also for the sins of the whole world. But the wrong teaching also from this verse would be that if Jesus has died on the cross for the sins of the whole world, then Jesus has paid for the sins of the whole world, then the whole world is saved. That is what is called as universalism. So that again is a wrong teaching. That would say, if Jesus has paid the death and other penalty, then everybody is saved. No, no, it's not like that, isn't it? It is those people who have responded to him. So two wrong understandings come from this verse. One is what is called as limited atonement, that Jesus died on the cross only for the Christians or only for those people who have responded to him. So the atonement sacrifice was not for the, all the people, only those who accepted him, they only, for those only Jesus died. The other extreme is universalism, which speaks about everyone in this world, because Jesus has paid the sacrifice, they're all saved, they'll all go to heaven. No, both the extremes are definitely wrong. So the understanding here is, yes, the propitiation is as wide as the sin. In other words, his penalty, his payment, his atoning sacrifice was sufficient for the sins of the whole world. But if men do not experience its benefit, the fault is not in its efficacy. In other words, it is sufficient, but a person has to accept that gift, isn't it? If a person has been set free, you know, from jail, you know, he has been pardoned, you know, sufficient, you know, but he has to accept that pardon and has to be willing to step out of prison. So when Jesus has become the propitiation for us, and it means that the value of Christ's blood was infinite, sufficient, 
to cover all the sins of all the men and women of every age of history. The fact that it is sufficient unto eternal salvation only for those individuals who believe in him, okay, is no argument to say that the value was limited. Okay, so there's no concept of a limited atonement. That's a phrase that some people use. No question of a limited atonement. The atonement was sufficient for the sins of the whole world. But how a person has responded to that is what will make it applicable to their own lives. So, in conclusion, when you're thinking about the encouragement from this verse, John is writing, remember, to believers. And he's saying that Jesus' death on the cross not only has paid for our sins, remember, the early church was primarily Jewish, you know, it's only later on as years went by, Paul went on to different places, the Gentiles also came into being. But here John is writing especially to an audience which could have been primarily Jewish. So when he's speaking about not only for our sins, he's speaking about the Jewish community and then those, those who have responded to that. And then he speaks about those who have also from the whole world, the non-Jewish community. Now, to understand this thought again, if you look at John chapter 11, verses 51 and 52, you know, it's a similar parallel passage, a similar parallel passage. And here, Cephas is speaking, okay, and he's saying, and this spake he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation, and not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad, that he should die for that nation, for the Jews, for our sins, and not only for them, but also for the children of God that were scattered abroad, that is, the whole world. So that's the parallel understanding. So when it says for those sins of the whole world, it does not mean that everyone will be saved, because if you notice, definitely passages of scripture are very clear. It is only those who believe in him who are really saved. So the purpose of these two verses is to comfort the believer, you know, who has fallen into sin with the perfect sufficiency of the high priestly work of Jesus Christ, both as a propitiation as well as our advocate for each and every one of God's children in the whole world, Jews and Gentiles, near and far. So, if you look at this verse in this whole context of all that we have studied so far, what we should be doing is, instead of denying that we have sinned, we have not sinned, you know, we should be willing to confess our sins, receive the cleansing through Christ, who has become our propitiation, who is our advocate, so that we can have communion with the Father through the Son. And by doing this, we know the light, we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and we receive God's joy. This is the whole purpose of these two verses. Also, you know, the other verse, when it speaks about Jesus' birth in this world, he shall save his people from their sins. If you notice in the context again, Jesus' birth into this world, he came as a Jew, 
in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies, in fulfillment of the sacrificial system. So primarily for the Jews and from there the Gentiles also. The mystery that was hidden that the Gentiles were also going to be incorporated into his body. So that's the same thought that is speaking that John is speaking over here. Not only for our sins, not only for these Jews, but also the Gentiles who would also respond and believe to him. So this verse is not a verse that will cut off people from salvation, but this verse is definitely a verse that gives encouragement to people if they fall into sin, so that they don't think that everything is lost, they can respond back to him in forgiveness. This verse is not speaking about universalism, which says that everyone will be saved because Jesus died on the cross for everyone. No, the gift is available. If only we accept that gift, then only we find that forgiveness. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord, for clarifying these issues from this verse. We thank you for the encouragement that we have that you indeed have become the propitiation. You have become the sacrifice. You are not the propitiator, but you have become the sacrifice so that there is no more sacrifice that needs to be done, that you have paid it all. And because you have paid it all, you have become the perfect advocate. Father, knowing this, help us, Lord, to live lives that are pure before you. Help us, Lord, to live lives that would uh, stay away from sin. Grant us your grace and strength to understand these truths so that we won't be complacent. We won't think that you know, everybody is going to be saved because of your death, so we don't have to do anything about it. Help us also to recognize our responsibility in sharing this vital truth that they don't have to pay for sins anymore. The people who are struggling with payment for sin, but they can understand that the payment has been made by you who became the propitiation. And today, when they go through guilt in life, they can be, have this confidence that there is an advocate, a mediator who pleads on our behalf. Thank you, Lord, for all that you have done for us on the cross, for all that you continue to do for us even today as the perfect advocate and mediator. We give you thanks and praise. Help us each day, Lord, to live in submission to you. For we ask this with thanksgiving in Jesus' precious name. Amen.